a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Multiversity Comics Star Wars podcast bring you everything new and basically what's interesting from the galaxy far, far away every month when we can. I am your co. I am your uh, your main host. I almost said co-host there. Be weird to be the the co-host to myself. Uh, I am your host, Alice W. Castle. Um, joined as ever by a weary and recovering Brian <laughs> Salvatore. How are you doing? Weary's a little strong, but not too strong. Yeah, I'm I'm beat after New York Comic Con, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I I have a cool story to tell you real quickly about that. So oh, um, So I was uh, I was talking with with my my daughter, who's a, a frequent topic of conversation on this show. Before I went to New York Comic Con, yeah. I said, you know, I'm gonna look for for a, a gift for you there. What do you want? She said, I wanted a Soka toy. I said, okay, yes, I can I can do that. So Thursday was insanity, and I didn't get a chance to look for a toy. Friday, I looked for an hour, and no toy booth had an Ahsoka toy. Jesus. They were all sold out. Everyone said to me, like, first thing that went as soon as we opened the con was all of our Ahsoka stuff. See, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's that and not we didn't bring any Ahsoka stuff. Yes, agreed, agreed. So then Saturday, I was like, all right, I have to try one more time because she's going to be devastated if I don't. And I finally went to like the one toy booth that I hadn't gone to and they had not one but two Ahsoka toys. So I got oh, her the, I got her the one from the Clone Wars like series of toys that comes mm-hmm. with uh is it Rada the Hut, the little little hut baby from the Clone Wars film? Like Stinky the Hut or whatever. Yes, whatever they call it. Yeah. So it has a little backpack and uh and and he sits in the backpack and she's been bringing it everywhere with her uh, oh, to bed uh, everywhere she loves it so much and so i i just wanted to let you know that first of all thank you for making me watch the clone wars and making my daughter have a hero in ahsoka but also it's just it's very cool to see that character still have such popularity among not this isn't star wars celebration this is like a you know a general pop culture convention at this oh point. yeah and she's still that popular so just it's very cool I think it's fantastic, and I, I'm really, I'm really jazzed to hear that. That 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 warms warms my little heart um, <laughs> to hear that. Um, and speaking of New York Comic Con, um, not a whole lot of news dropped from there on the Star Wars front, but enough that it was a kind of a blip on our radar. There's enough that we will be kind of digging in to talk about here. Um, most on the publishing side, it's a lot of books, it's a lot of comics, but we're a comic book website. That's our that's our new uh, potatoes. That's what we love. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the the big thing to start with, um, at least for me, there's like there's a little bit here that I want to dig into is the fact that um, Darth Vader will be ending at issue twenty five, um, coupled with the fact that Poe Dameron just ended or is just about to end um, because timing is weird and I have no idea what day I'm even on. <laughs> um, 
at issue 31. And there's a little little nugget here I want to kind of explore in that Marvel and Disney seem to be fine with these stories just kind of like bringing themselves to a natural conclusion, which I'm very, very happy about. Yes, agreed. I think that, um, first of all, I have not read Souls, um, Darth Vader, but I've heard excellent things from you and others about it. It's real, real good. I really enjoy it. And this is a pretty much totally distinct volume from the first volume, correct? Yes. Um, and always possible. The first volume was primarily by written by Kieran Gillen with art by Salvador La Roca, mm-hmm. taking place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, largely about how um, Vader went from kind of being the the kind of lackey no one was really sure where his positioning was during A New Hope. Like, he, he was almost like Tarkin's lackey in that film. Mm-hmm. And kind of contending with the um, like power vacuum left by the destruction of the Death Star, the um, kind of surviving members of the like the head of the Imperial Navy. I think it was Tag, was the Admiral Tag. Uh, yeah, um, that he kind of like butts head with, kind of uh, contends with, um, like ideologically, and it's kind of about him proving himself to become the like basically forefront of the Empire that we see in Empire Strikes Back. Charles So and Giuseppe Camacoli's run takes place almost immediately after Revenge of the Sith. Like, it, it could not be further away from what Galen and Laroca were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, opens with uh, Vader building his new lightsaber. Um, have you read the... You've read the Ahsoka novel, right? Uh, no, not yet. My, oh, okay. And cool. I are about to start it. Cool. Um, there's, there's a little kind of, like, neat kind of thematic tie-in because they, they take place around the same time. There's not a direct crossover, but they kind of touch on something similar. We'll get to that once you once you dig into it. Um but it's basically been about um the transition from Anakin to Vader mm-hmm. and him proving himself to to Palpatine and there's some really nice kind of uh I think the the second story arc um introduces the Inquisitorius. And kind of like shows how that's brought about, and like the way it's kind of like almost dumped in Vader's lap by Palpatine as like a here you suddenly have this entire class of former Jedi that are now your Jedi hunters. Deal with it, um, and it's it's really cool, and I'm glad they don't feel like it doesn't feel like Marvel's kind of stringing these series along. Like obviously we had the transition from. Jason Aaron to Kieran Gillen as main writer in Star Wars, which kind of like helped further that series along because I think Jason Aaron did feel like he was getting a bit burned out on that by the end. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just me. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that these are becoming like finite stories with a definitive end um, just to kind of like be a chapter in Star Wars history. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if it will be long before we get a third volume of Darth Vader, and if so, when they would choose to set it. Because yeah, it seems to me like the two most obvious eras have already been done. Mm-hmm. You know, there probably um, isn't that much between Empire and Jedi. No, like, I think, it's like, a couple months to a year at best, as far as I'm aware. 
Yeah. Um, as opposed to like the like good two or three years between A New Hope and Empire. But I, I wonder if it even could, like maybe takes place kind of closer to Rebels, like still before A New Hope, but further along. Right. Um, and that because like there's a good like what nineteen years in there, so it's got some leeway. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, they showed off a bunch of covers for Age of Republic. Um, most of them, I think, it was three by um, Paolo Rivera, which are awesome. And then announced a series that I'm very, very interested in. Um, something called Shadow of Vader, written by uh, Chuck Wendig, which is like a mini series, as far as I'm aware. Says it's a yeah, I, I was believe five issue series. Yeah, uh, listeners will actually hear my interview with Chuck Wendig, which touches on this briefly at the end of the podcast. Um, but I believe it's five or six issues with a different artist for each issue. That's cool. So, and I want to say maybe even taking place across different time periods. Because mm-hmm. uh, I've got the StarWars.com post about the Lucasfilm publishing panel up, and it says. Like issue one's a Friday the thirteenth homage. Um issue two is about Wilro Hoods, um, which is a name I don't actually recognize, so that's a, a new one on me. Issue three centers on a morgue attendant on the Death Star, which feels like a a, a robot chicken skit in the making. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um but issue four has me interested, which is uh focuses on the acolytes of the beyond, which, if I remember correctly, were those the guys in the aftermath novels that ended up with like, like a, just a shit ton of lightsabers or something. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's because yeah. they 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 like didn't they get his helmet? And I, I I spent the entire like third novel expecting there to be like shit happening with them, <laughs> and then they were just like a side story. That sounds about right. Yeah, that is a series I'm very interested in, partially because, like you said, it feels like a kind of anthology series, which is a bit different than what we've seen in the comics so far, at least. Yeah. Um, And because I really like Chuck Wendig. Um, I haven't read the... Did he do the Force Awakens comic adaptation? I believe so. I didn't read that because... um. Like, I barely have time for novelizations, never mind. Right. Are we doing a comic of a film I've already seen? Um, But I'm excited to see what he does with this. Yeah, it it seems like it's right up Wendig's alley, because in the Aftermath novels, he had those wonderful interlude chapters Mm -hmm. that would just tell these short stories about sometimes known characters, sometimes unknown characters, just sort of detailing their life in the new post-Empire world. Mm-hmm. And I think that this this book seems almost like five or six chapters of stories that are Vader-centric, but also deal with sort of the, you know, um, the just the average people that encounter Vader. Yeah. And that's really fun. We just, like, he's the perfect character to do that with as well. Like, he is almost the linchpin of the entire galaxy and a yeah, like he is kind of the linchpin of the entire galaxy for that era. Like, there is probably not a soul in the like the galactic uh, empire 
that doesn't know who Vader is. There is certainly seen... nobody that nobody who meets Vader d- forgets it. Yeah, like he like does he cast is... a shadow wherever he goes. Yeah, like he is maybe the biggest footprint on the galaxy, um, for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, and the Vader. other thing that they announced is so they showed off the cover to Star Wars: Master and Apprentice. I'm still excited about this novel. It's not much to talk on about. It's just an artist rendition of um, Episode One era Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, but the the thing that really um, kind of tickled my fancy was the announcement of Alphabet Squadron, which is, seems like a silly title, um, but it's by Alexander Freed, who wrote the amazing um, Battlefront Twilight Company, the tie-in novel to EA's uh, first Battlefront game. And it's that novel has is way better than it has any right to be. Um, like, still genuinely one of my favorite novels of a new canon. If we haven't already, we should do a book club on it. Yeah, we have not yet, and I've never that... played Battlefront, so. I'm oh, you interested... don't. You don't have to. It's basically like the the way I imagined it as I was reading it was like this is the kind of story mode the game should have had. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Um, so it's completely divorced of anything that actually happened in the game because the game's like ninety percent multiplayer in the first. The, the first iteration, at least. Um, so it's completely standalone, and it's a really interesting look at a rebel soldier who doesn't necessarily believe in the cause of the rebellion so much as fighting for the soldier beside him. Um, very, very kind of, like, um, counterculture, almost, for a Star Wars hero to not believe in, like, hope and, and redemption right. and all that stuff, but, like, the, the act of just surviving making sure his squad survives so that's a very good book and alphabet squadron um which is arriving june next year so we've got a bit of time to wait um is set after return of the jedi following a unique team of pilots each flying a different class of starfighter and the uh, preview cover has an a-wing a b-wing a u-wing a y-wing an x-wing um so a squadron of fighters each flying a unique class of uh starfighter as opposed to like a squadron full of x-wings um as they struggle to end the war they fought so long for once and for all. Um, so I, I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, I really dig Freed's work in Twilight Company. Um, I got like most of the way through the Rogue One novelization, but I can never stick with novelizations. But he did good work in there. And uh, I'm uh, looking forward to this one. Yeah, that sounds really interesting and fun. And... Honestly, that's the, the kind of the biggest news out of New York Comic Con. There was a lot of cool stuff about the Woman of the Galaxy art book, which I'm excited about. Um, some kind of uh, young adult and young readers books announced, like uh, a lot of stuff in Star Wars Adventures, the IDW series that I haven't checked out. But um, it's all on StarWars.com for further reading. Now, let's talk Mandalorian. <laughs> so I... I had tweeted tweeted on Thursday night that I felt so guilty that I knew the name of the series and you didn't because you were sleeping. (laughs) And I was like, Alice needs to know this. I'm so I'm sorry. I know it before her. I'm I'm genuinely sad. I wasn't woken up by my Star Wars senses. Just like something (laughs) is happening in the world at Star Wars. Um, To be fair, at least I, I was only sleeping through when. Okay. So we should actually back up a bit and explain what the hell we're talking about in case you're <laughs> yeah. living under a rock. The Mandalorian is the title of the live-action Star Wars show that is being 
was it produced, executive produced, um, I, and I written, writ, written and like show run, executive produced, yeah, mm-hmm. by John Favreau. Um, so yeah, it's called The Mandalorian. Um, and it was a, a synopsis that John Favreau posted on Instagram, and at least I just for that, and I wasn't asleep for the first image that they showed off. Um, this thing looks sweet. Like I can't lie. Like I, I, I know I'm not the biggest Mandalorian fan in the world, but I, I really dig this. Yeah, it's um, it's an intriguing title because it's one of those things that if you are a casual Star Wars fan, you may not understand the significance of it. But once you see the armor, mm-hmm. like, oh, I get Mandalore. Okay, I remember that. But if you're somebody who has dug into the extended universe, who has dug into the um, the Clone Wars and the uh, and Rebels and the various other ephemera that surround Star Wars, this instantly evokes a tone and mm-hmm. a um, and a sort of seriousness of digging into the mythology. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't have called the show The Mandalorian if this wasn't going to be a show that was anchored by some serious Star Wars mythology. Yeah, that's that's like I uh, I actually don't have like a, a good kind of a comparison here because I don't think anything has that kind of like deep cut <laughs> kind of knowledge. But it's like it's almost like having like a DC show about. Called like Zeta Beams. <laughs> yeah, like like the nth metal show, you know? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a deep cut reference. And the fact that it's like obviously we haven't seen like a title treatment, we haven't seen any kind of production art, we don't know what the marketing of this show is gonna look like. But everything that we've seen is just it's just the Mandalorian as a title. It's not Star Wars colon the Mandalorian. It's probably gonna have Star Wars and a title treatment. Right. But like it's the Mandalorian, um, which has many said. Now, let me read this synopsis. Um, this is what was posted uh, to John Favreau's Instagram, and it has it has me very excited. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter out in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. This ticks every box. <laughs> this is like cool. So it's set. I believe they've mentioned before seven years, almost exactly, um, after the Battle of Yavin, which was put it after the Battle of Jakku, um, right. after the signing of Galactic Concordance, after the end of Aftermath Empire's End, literally in the heart of the like the no man's land of Star Wars canon, where we've never seen anything. Um, and the fact that, you know, it says a lone gunfire in the reaches of the galaxy, this image of the Mandalorian warrior looks like Tatooine. Like, that's not just me, right? No, it certainly evokes Tatooine. Yeah. Like, even if this isn't Tatooine, the, the kind of ramshackle huts, the awnings, the, the kind of drab colorings, this feels like it's meant to feel... In the same way, the Jedi was likely meant to feel like the kind of Tatooine markets, especially of Mos Eisley. Um, 
one thing I have to mention here, though, is this the guy that got Boba Fett's armor after an aftermath? I asked Chuck Wendig that. <laughs> is that part of that? And he said, uh, he essentially said, I don't know, but that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would be cool. Because that was actually a uh, friend of the show, former guest, uh, Zach Wilkerson, actually brought up that idea to me. For, I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's pretty great. The thing is, um, I, I, I was that person where I sat down with this image and then in like production still of Boba Fett um, <laughs> in a separate window. Um, the, the armor is like completely different in the style. Like, the shoulder pad is completely different. Obviously, the helmet is much more chromed, which I think is a, a really cool effect compared to the kind of like drab uh, kind of brown armor. Um, it, it, it's a completely different um, style of armor. So even if it is meant to be, it's been uh, like heavily customized. Now, there's a couple, there is, we'll, we'll get to like resistance and stuff in a second. This is, this is what has me um, really excited is that they announced a couple of directors for the series. Well, the, the first one... Big I, I heard name up in neon lights for the first episode. I, I heard your heart rate. Much like Superman can hear Batman's heart rate anywhere on Earth, I could hear your heart rate uh, flutter when Dave Filoni was announced as the director of the first episode. Just massive neon lights, Dave Filoni directing the first episode. Oh, I almost fell out of my chair. I, I've been saying for years, I cannot wait for the moment that Dave Filoni decides to kind of dip into Star Wars live action. This is that moment. Oh, I'm so excited. So here's my question about all of this. Yes. We should also say that the rest of the director's list is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. It's like a veritable, like, who's who of, like, some of the biggest names currently working in, like, Hollywood behind the scenes. And also like, Bryce Dallas Howard, which is interesting. I didn't know she had ambitions to direct. Good for her. Me neither, but I love Bryce Dallas Howard, and I will support her in anything she does. Yes. Um, the whole Howard family is cool with me. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, Rick Famuyiwa, who I guess isn't doing that Flash film anymore. Nope. <laughs> um, I I like I haven't been following that Flash film, but this is like the fourth director they've dropped out of or whatever, so I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm glad that, that this is where he landed. Um. Thor Ragnarok's Taika Waititi, who I love as the director, even though I'm not a fan of Thor Ragnarok. Um, I think what we're doing in the shadows is fantastic, and I'm excited to see what he does with Star Wars. And uh, Deborah Chow of Jessica Jones. I haven't watched the second series yet. I'm assuming it's the second season that she worked on, primarily so. because uh, all I heard about the second season was that a woman directed every episode. Um, but that's all I, I actually... <laughs> solve that second season um but yeah th these are some good ass names like th this is um i feel like this is like the lucasfilm babe ruth pointing to the stands yeah like <laughs> like they're just putting this image out they're putting these names out and they're just like we know like we know this is going to be good but we know this is going to rock your socks off we know so i i have two questions one is sort of a uh, philosophical question and one is a practical okay. question the practical question is do you see this lasting more than one season or is this going to be a purposely limited series mm, interesting um i actually thought about that i think it might it might last 
uh, more than a season, but I think it's going to be very limited in episode count. Yeah, I think that can make sense. Like I th- I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like between eight and ten episodes. You know, like very like concise kind of a, a season. Yeah. And then my sort of uh, philosophical question here is, like, I think first of all, I think this is great. This is exactly what I'm looking for from new Star Wars media. Like you said, it ticks all the boxes, right? But mm. is this an, like one of the things that Disney had, has been talking about is using its the original content on its streaming service to get people excited about said streaming service? Mm. Is this too niche of a of a Star Wars story to be that impactful? Um, subscriber bait they want it to be i don't think so and i think it's actually kind of the perfect um like the perfect pitch to get people in is that everyone loves boba fett like i i I can't explain it i can't explain why people love a character who showed up for you know four scenes across two movies um and died like a derp he's the, the the he oh god it's, it's such a lack of uh, kind of a forethought on how cool that character design was. Um, but yeah, he, he's the poster boy for the, the character whose entire popularity is just because he looks cool. Um, and that spawned into so much love for like the Mandos as a race. The point where like, half the reason I feel like people got really mad at um, Disney dropping the legend stuff is because there's a lot of mandalorian content um especially i think in the 501st novels um or like like they're the republic commando novels i should say i think it was karen travis that did those um people love the mando culture like they they really developed that beyond um just some cool armor um kind of in a way that i didn't quite dig but i know people really love it and i think as soon as you put out here's the main character he looks like boba fett maybe he is boba fett maybe he isn't boba fett who knows what lies beneath that helmet but like that's that's the button that you press to get people excited about star wars is mandalorian helmet um so no I, i think it'll definitely draw enough of the core crowd in to be talking about it and then once they start talking about it, then everybody goes like, what's this Mandalorian thing? And starts kind of looking into it. Okay. I think I, would, um... more, more than that, I think it will depend on the price barrier to actually get into the streaming service. Right. But that's a whole other thing. And they better figure something out for international folks. Boy, howdy. If I have to wait for like, like, most um like international like streaming things have actually ended up on Netflix over here. Right. Um so stuff like uh like Riverdale is a Netflix only series over here. DC, um DC Universe Titans is gonna be over there. On yeah. I get to go watch Batman be a murderer again. Yeah. Again um, again. That that's not this podcast. Um but yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if either Disney like it's not going to end up on Netflix because Disney hates Netflix right now. Yeah. Um. This entire this entire project is to spite Netflix. Um. 
but it, I, I, I would certainly hope it'll end up uh, on UK screens somehow, even if it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, so any government official who's listening, just take your earbuds out for a second here. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you when to put them back in, folks. Um, so, Alice, if, if I have to hold my phone up to my TV and, and tape it and send it to you, I will <laughs> do that. Just FaceTime me. Like, <laughs> exactly, FaceTime yeah. your reaction with just the sound. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll make it work right. for you. Don't worry. I, I, will, I will watch this show somehow. Yes. Even if I have to, like, swim the Atlantic. <laughs> well, I do have a spare bedroom. So if it releases all at once, just plan a, a nice long weekend in New Jersey and you can sit on my couch and watch the whole season. <laughs> oh, definitely. Christ, you wouldn't be able to get rid of me. That's all right. Hey, we're pals. That'll be fun. That's right. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get the uh, the next kind of in-person podcast. Yeah, there we go. We'll listen to yeah. that episode of the DC Shootcast. Everyone, it's, it's good. We had so much fun, guys. Oh, God. We had so much fun. Um. But yeah, so um, anything else to say about The Mandalorian? Um, I'm very, very, very excited for it. And I want to see more. And I want it to be out, like, tomorrow. That's that's all I can go. I think they're still saying... They're still saying that's going to be one of the launch shows for the Disney app, right? Um, I think so. I don't think Clone Wars will be. No. I would be I would be very surprised if it is. Yeah, I, I would Although think... that that like that would definitely be like a get people in like the front door immediately is to be like, hey, pay ten bucks a month and you get to watch the new Clone Wars show. Yeah. I uh... oh, show up in that front door. I I have a I have a theory that not theory. I I, I just think that the Clone Wars show will probably come like in that, in this, like, you know, there's always a big couple first months, and then they have to goose the the subscriber base more, like six months or eight months later for that second big push, and I think Clone Wars will be that second big push. Yeah, that would make sense, especially yeah. like as yeah. kind of the Mandalorian might peter off towards the end of the series, like they kind of like hit that injection with more Star Wars. Right. And also, I would just think that the um, that there'll be enough of the new the new service luster on it to not need help in the beginning. But when mm-hmm. they want to reach that second plateau, Clone Wars is a big enough thing to help them do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's take a quick break then. Yes. And we will return to discuss Star Wars Resistance. Oh boy, I'm excited for this one. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. Um, thank you for joining us as we talk more and more and more Star Wars, as always. Um, we just wrapped up, wrapped up talking about The Mandalorian and the news from New York Comic Con. And 
all of that is pretty good. It's all stuff that's coming in the future. Let's talk about the Star Wars of now. Let's talk about the Star Wars that is happening, and that is Star Wars Resistance. Because this is a good-ass show. Like, I'm just going to get this out of here. This is a good-ass show. <laughs> I, uh, I have some qualms about it, but overall, I agree with you. I enjoyed so, the pilot episode. Sure. One thing I will say is, have you watched more than the first episodes? Because I know they put, what, four-something episodes out on some kind of streaming service in the uh, States? No, I have not watched more than one yet. I, I wanted okay. to discuss the one with you sure. before. You know, there's nothing worse than being like, I oh, just wait and see, wait and see, mm. you know, so... And I figured the vast hey, majority. Hey, I've of our sat on that with Clone Wars for about ten years now. Trust <laughs> That's me. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and I figured the vast majority of our listenership probably has only heard the first, uh, has only seen the first episode, also. So yeah, I wanted. To I, I sure. likewise, I've only seen uh, the recruit, the pilot episode. Yes, same. So um, what do you think of it? All right. So let me get my my one sort of criticism out of the way because I think that that that, that criticism is. Almost the only negative thing I have to say about the show, but sure. I think it's it, it's one that is uh, somewhat important, and that I think Kaz is the most obnoxious Star Wars lead character in a very long time. Really? Yeah, that... I was I was really bothered by Kaz. I I, I can see that. I like I like I actually can one hundred percent see where you're coming from there. Mm-hmm. And I wholeheartedly disagree. Like oh, I was that's actually, cool. that's I was, fun though. That's fun. I was actually really endeared by a character. Like there is, there is some kind of niggles that I have um, that I talked about in my five thoughts review on the first episode, which you can read mlversitycomics.com. Um, but it was basically just the fact that we talked last episode about how this show might expand on stuff like the New Republic and the State of the Galaxy just prior to The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And it kind of did, but, like, we see that um, Kazi's dad is a senator. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen the episode, like, spoiler alert, I guess. Yes, you yes. should you should have You should have watched the episode by now. Um, we see that Kazi's dad is a senator, but, like, because they have to scramble the signal, we don't have, like, a model for them. We don't even know what he looks like. And even though we know that Kaz is a pilot for the New Republic, which makes me wonder how old this kid's meant to be, because like, surely he should be like, maybe in his 20s if he's a Republic Navy pilot, maybe he wheeled some strings pulled by his dad. Um, Like, we, we, we really don't see much of what the New Republic is actually like. Um, And I kind of forgot the point here. Yeah. Um, but basically, I, I like the idea of someone who is trying to do their best, but is also just kind of like thrown into a situation they don't know how to handle mm-hmm. and just kind of like has to make up for that. Like, there, there's so many little moments of like, I, I see a lot of kind of almost Luke Skywalker in him that kind of like, oh, I wish I was something better. I wish I was doing more. I wish I could do this. And then as soon as he projects that, especially with um um character name uh neeks is it ne ne something uh the the guy yeah um um that one 
like the the way he like kind of projects that in the world, and then he goes like, "Oh, so you're the best pilot in the entire galaxy," and then he has to like answer that ramification. That was actually humor I really enjoyed. I, I was actually really endeared by that. I I really liked everything about the show. I just felt that Kaz was uh maybe over the top in his obnoxiousness. Like that's fair. I was talking with uh again I'm gonna keep name name dropping Zach Wilkerson here, but Zach and I were talking about this last night and he said that He was almost on this episode yes, and he... I'm 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 missing him. He he said he would come on uh, at some point this season to talk about the show. So maybe at the end of the season good, good, good. we'll have him on. Um but he uh he said that it reminded him a lot of Ezra in early episodes of Rebels. Yes. I just, you know, I, I am now like about halfway through season two of Rebels and uh, I could see that, but I felt that with Ezra's character, there's this sort of undercurrent of melancholy because he has lost his yeah. parents and he's been on his own. And this guy just kind of comes off like a spoiled kid who wants to, who wants a different life. Now I'm not saying that that, that can't make for a good story, nor am I saying mm -hmm. I'm, I'm writing him off after, you know, 40 minutes or so. Yeah. I just think that he, it, it's laid on pretty thick in the first episode. I also have to keep reminding myself, this is a children's show essentially. Yeah. And so nuance does not have as much of a role here. And it's the first episode and I'm sure they will adjust as it goes along. You know, I, I am the person who famously found Ahsoka annoying in the first episode of Clone Wars, the first series, you, you first, beat like, me to it. You know, first. Few I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, you know, and uh, and obviously that changed over time. So mm. I am not giving up at all. I just found him a bit obnoxious. That's fair. I, I mean, like I pretty much hated Ezra in the beginning of Rebels. Like he he really like just did my box in for most like actually up to like mid season three. That kid annoyed me. Okay. Um. Just because so many of so much of Rebels is just him learning the same lessons over and over again, mm -hmm. um, and I really hope they don't fall into that trap with Resistance. But I'm already endeared enough towards Kaz, and especially Kaz and Niku's kind of like burgeoning relationship and the the kind of cast they're building with this show, um, that I'm I'm 100% on board. Um, can we talk about the uh, the best new characters? In Star Wars, um, Let me Parker guess. and Flick. I was gonna say, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I, he's a little oil man. I love, I love them. Also, I love Chadra fans. They're little bat people. They're my favorites. <laughs> I hope they show up more and more. Also, he has that like real, like Brooklynite Jewish like um, shop owner feel. So what you're saying is so. a not racist Watto. Got it. Yes, one. That's yes, one hundred percent. You you found it. You found my favorite Star Wars character, Wattle, but not racist. Yep. <laughs> uh... But yeah, so th this was basically like the the entire first episode, which was like a good forty minutes long, it was basically like your your taster for for the, what the rest of the the show will be, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, you know, it's what good first episodes might be. I really enjoy this, and I think a lot of the props has to go to just how good this show actually looks in motion. Because I know we mentioned it, um, I think it was last episode when we went into it, like, people got 
real mad about the art style of this show, um, much in the way people got real mad about the art style of Rebels compared to Clone Wars, and much in the way people got mad at the art style of Clone Wars when that first showed up. Um, I remember people getting really mad about like the kind of bulky marionette style of Clone Wars, and I think they're completely idiots. Um, this show looks fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really sharp looking. It and it certainly does have a bit of that manga influence that we had heard it was going to have. Yeah, but it also feels it feels different than that. It, it's not just like a straight up manga pastiche. Yeah, that's what I was like. I was actually kind of really worried when they mentioned that as part of like the original press release was that kind of like manga anime influence in the art style, and I was really hoping that it wasn't just like like the Star Wars manga show. Um, but it actually feels kind of organic to Star Wars, just I'd like a different, unique art style that feels feels bright. I don't know, like it's probably not the best word to describe it. But that's like the the kind of a key feeling I have towards like when I think about the images of that, especially the. I actually agree completely with that. Like just the 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 skybox vistas, especially that race at the end of the episode, which is kind of like the set piece the entire episode builds towards. It just feels good, which is not like the best criticism in the world, but that's that's, that's what I'm sticking with. It feels good. <laughs> yeah, I I think it instantly sets like what I what I find really interesting about this um this time period is when you think about it, the original trilogy was set during a a downtime. It's a sad yeah. era, right? Uh, the prequels were set during ostensibly a good era in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And the new trilogy begins with a, a sort of, you know, uh, it's good, but there's a, a, a negative resurgence happening. Mm-hmm. And then instantly with the destruction of the New Republic um, system, like it, it gets very dark very quickly. So yeah. this this series has the potential to be the brightest not just, you know, literally, but the most optimistic time period in a Star mm-hmm. Wars show or Star Wars media since like episode 2. Since yeah. Right before the Clone War starts. Cuz like ostensibly the prequel trilogy is is a galaxy during peacetime. Um even like, though one of the things... there's so much war in it, it's still... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of in the tale. Um, but one of the things... Actually, one of the things I like about... Um, you know, I've criticized the time gap between episode one and episode two being, like, a decade. Mm-hmm. But I do like the idea that it kind of opens with, like, the, the kind of political turmoil that in the long run has ripples towards war in the same way that, like, the fallout of World War One was, like, the catalyst for World War Two beginning, right? Um, just on a long time scale, um, which is a whole other podcast worth of story. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I actually found out about um this time period is that at least on the Star Wars wiki, what this time period is known as is the, the like Galactic Cold War, um, between the um Resistance and the First Order, which is something that really interests me because it's it's. It, it paints the, the galaxy in a very different picture. Um, every other war we've seen has been incredibly active. You know, either the, the Clone Wars, which is this massive multi-theater full-scale galactic conflict, 
or the civil war which was these like kind of like smaller conflicts that kind of snowballed into like a larger conflict um the the cold war kind of lasts decades almost that lasts you know more or less about 30 years um and where resistance opens is that like the the republic clearly clearly acknowledges the the existence of the resistance of leia's kind of um militarized resistance against the first order even if they don't have um official support of the new republic like they're getting information from the new republic that's how the show opens they're getting resources like there is a war being prepared for but it's not quite there yet and i think that could be like it's like especially with the, the the spy stuff going on um with Kazi's mission i think that could be like a really interesting nugget for this show to explore that's what really has me hooked i think yeah i think that's certainly a uh part of it that is interesting i also think that it continues the star wars tradition of setting things on backwater planets or backwater systems rather mm -hmm. um and you know i i, I like that this show is going to take place more or less in an enclosed environment where you can yeah. let the characters really breathe and be and grow and not you know that's one one major criticism of the clone wars that i think is inevitable is that the cast is just so sprawling and if you are not oh, yeah. particularly a fan of one of those areas you know whatever it is wh whether you weren't a venturous person or you weren't a how dare uh, they i know <laughs> or you weren't really into like the the stuff with the clones themselves you know there's a lot of episodes that might leave you a little bit cold then mm. if you can buy into this cast it seems like this cast is going to be around in every episode yeah which is i think something that the the attempted to do in rebels at least in the beginning yes um it started very small very contained and then build from there. Um, and it wasn't until, like, that that was actually kind of something of a problem I had with Rebels in the beginning, was that I feel like it started almost too small, at least for me, is that, you know, you you premise the show on it being about the Rebels and the Rebellion, I kind of immediately expect you to jump into, like, Mon Mothma and the Rebel Alliance and, like, the larger scale picture. And it took me a while to understand, like, just why exactly is Lothal as important as it is, and it's because it's a snapshot of the like the wider conflicts that are um, arising throughout the galaxy. Right. And I think the same thing can be happening here. Is that ostensibly, Kazi's mission is to root out kind of supporters of the the First Order, kind of um, find out as much information as he can from the people in the know and the, the far outer rim and their reaches to find out as much as he can and very likely to sway as many people as he can towards the resistance. So I think you can have that kind of real kind of tense, um, no one knows whose side they're on kind of conflict within the bounds of, you know, a kid's Star Wars show. But I think that's it's a very unique kind of war than we've seen from star wars we've never seen this kind of war where there's no active kind of um battles being fought but it's all like it's pure ideology and i think that will help kind of 
build the first order a little bit because um i've read some essays i've seen uh lindsay ellis did a really good video essay of it on youtube about like what the actual ideology of the first order is meant to be mm-hmm. other than just like we want to be the empire again and it's one of the things that i feel like people find the first order kind of toothless especially compared to the empire is that the empire you can get away with saying they're the bad guys because they're the empire because they're the dominant force in the galaxy like the the rebels are being actively oppressed and are fighting back right first order isn't actively oppressing they are fighting back against who they think are the oppressors but are actually like kind of basically a neo-fascist group so i think building that tension and that ideology can help elevate what's already good about the sequels and i think that's where these animation shows work best is like lifting the mythology around them yeah that's an excellent point i actually um i had a conversation a few weeks ago with a friend of mine about the first order and i was saying how one of the things that i wish they did more of in the first in um the last jedi and also in the force awakens would be to let someone like kylo ren or uh or hux say like not just we want to be the empire again but like what brought down the empire a small group of radicals that's what we are we are cleansing the republic of its failures like Mm -hmm. i feel like they could have made that much more clear yeah and it would have been much more interesting i think it it, part of it i think is the the same kind of uh complaints i was talking about um last episodes going into resistance is I feel like so much of The Force Awakens was um, built to focus on Rey's story and on the journeys of the characters, but the world building kind of wasn't there. Like, we're told a lot about the New Republic and the Resistance and Leia's fight in the First Order, and we're showing a lot of very kind of, like, base, like, the good guys have X-Wings, the bad guys have TIE Fighters. Remember that? Right. Um without actually kind of diving deep into what each kind of conflict believes in, like how much is the resistance actually connected to the new Republic? Are they like standing in defense of the new Republic? Why do we care about the new Republic? Cause we don't actually see anything happen with them. It was very kind of muddled for me. Like it's basically like going back into the force awakens and kind of realizing like, I don't care when, Hosni and Prime is blown up so much as I care about Alderaan because I know Alderaan's Leia's home planet by that point. Right. Exactly. But like, what do I know about Hosni and Prime and the New Republic? Exactly. So it's that kind of like, I feel like that was one of the kind of major things they dropped the ball on. And I think why The Last Jedi kind of had to wipe the slate clean and kind of, you know, like it basically doesn't say the word resistance for like the majority of that movie. He calls them the rebels. Um, he lets the destruction of the New Republic center the force, the First Order as, like, the oppressing force once again in order to fall back into that kind of classic underdog hero paradigm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to see where that goes in Episode Nine. but I think with Resistance, we can get to that place where if you build up enough kind of... And, like, it comes back to that thing where, like, maybe you shouldn't have to watch a TV show to understand a movie... Right. I think because it has that kind of tertiary tie to the world building, if you do watch it, it can elevate 
that experience of the rest of the stories around it. Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Because I feel like I talked a lot there, and I don't know how much of my point I had to go. No, no, I definitely, I definitely know what you're talking about. Cool. Um, so I, I have a big question about this show, and I, I, th- I think you're gonna have an answer for it. Um, okay. That might be different than my answer, but is that Captain Cardinal in the Red Tie Fighter? I thought the exact same thing. Um, I don't think so. Um, so, so I didn't. I, I went back twice. And listen to the last bit of the episode. Could not and make out what the name he said. I believe they, he calls him like Ombre or something like that, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. But it really sounds like he's calling him Ombre. Um, it it's not like I looked up what Cardinal's name was. I couldn't remember what it was, mm-hmm. and it's um, Archix, and that's certainly not what he says. Um, no. So, but um, there's a lot made. I... There's a lot Sorry. made in the Phasma novel about how uh, Cardinal is the only other person in the First Order yeah. to have a a different colored uniform. Yeah, that that's the the exact same thought I had. Um, looking at StarWars.com, um, not StarWars.com, StarWars.Wikia.com, the the Wikipedia. number one source yep. for uh, Wikipedia. Um, he says it's Elric Vonrig. Um, like basically just 100% is like first appearance, the recruit, this dude has never shown up again or, or shown up before this. So I'm assuming he is, uh, created for the show. Um, there's like a quote about from Dave Filoni about he's basically like the Red Baron of the show, which I'm very into. That's, that's um, fun, yeah. Uh, and I think they're they're kind of um, like brushing that like uh, Cardinal's the only one in red armor kind of under the rug for the time being. Because um, my, my second thought was that if it's not Cardinal, you know, Cardinal escapes at the end of Phasma. Mm-hmm. I guess spoiler alert for Phasma here, but um, it's what not it, the best book in the world. So no, it's not. <laughs> you're, you're, you're cool. With just listening to what we have to say about it. Um, I wonder if there's um. If this would be like, so the First Order isn't letting its people know that Cardinal's gone. You know, like Interesting. putting somebody else in that armor or making an example of him and giving somebody else that armor, you know, now just, you know, using the armor as a symbolic, um, you know, as a, as a symbol of either the power of the First Order or the mm-hmm. facelessness of the first order, you know, doubling yeah. down on the on the numerical numberings of its of its uh, stormtroopers, you know, saying you know, C- Cardinal's dead, long live Cardinal, type thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think that much thought was actually put into it. Um, <laughs> like, I'm super down into that that reading of it, um, especially given that like this guy's given like a a name um, as opposed to a number on like his Wikipedia entry. And, like, yeah. the only other Stormtroopers of the First Order that we know with names are Phasma and Cardinal. Yeah. Um, so maybe it is that, like, he kind of took over that role. It's interesting that he took over that role and he's the pilot as opposed to, like, a like infantry Stormtrooper. Um, so that could be cool. I'm uh, interested to see how that develops. It's likely going to be developed over the next couple of episodes. Like, the the way that first episode ends 
if the second one doesn't just open on Starkiller base, I'd be the su- be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's something to think about. I'd say. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very interested to see where this show goes. Me too. I think, like I said, the the first episode was a good encapsulation of, you know, the kind of tone, the the feel of the show going forward. Um, but I think it really only scratched the surface of what could go on in the show. Like, obviously, it's not going to be about racing every episode because that would get very tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it showed that it's strong enough to kind of emphasize what works about the setting and about this time period and about these characters that there is, you know, I think we mentioned that uh, episode, like we have no idea how they're going to like, if this entire show is supposed to take place six months before Force Awakens, we didn't know how they could like do a full show in such a short time span. But really, if it's about these kind of smaller stories, I think you could actually play that out like an entire season over the course of like a month like a couple of weeks right um and focused on these kind of really intimate moments because of the the such an enclosed location that i I, i'm really excited about where this is where this is going to go yeah i agree do we know yet how many episodes there are in the first season um i don't I mean, probably, but I haven't actually looked up. So let me see. Um, Wikipedia, the um, ever faithful uh, resource, is telling me it's going to be a full 22. Oh, with wow. They're counting as a two-part episode. So, okay. like, I guess 21 other than... Or 20 other than the recruit. Yeah. That math works out. Huh. Okay. It'll be very interesting. I am, uh, I'm checking something very, very petty right now, but. Oh yeah. And and that's, um, yeah, there are 22 episodes of Star Wars Resistance season one. Um, and that's from Tracy Canobio, which is a Lucasfilm sub, uh, publicist. So oh, okay. that's from like a Lucasfilm source. All right. Here, here's, here's my real real pettiness here all right i'm seeing if we are listed on the rotten tomatoes site for uh for the reviews because <laughs> den of geek is and we are better than den of greek den of geek. <laughs> who was handing out a print magazine of den of geek at new york comic-con really yeah Sorry, no, listeners, this is, not. like, not Star Wars anymore. This is just, like, multiversity talk. <laughs> this is multiversity shit chat. <laughs> uh, no, we're not on there. I will try and change that. Um, anyway, but, yeah, no, I, I am super excited for this show. Uh, my daughter has decided we're not going to watch it as a family until we finish Rebels. That makes sense. So I'm watching this on the sly, so don't tell her. Okay. <laughs> I, I, my lips are sealed. Thank you. Just uh, act very surprised at the end of your episode. Exactly. What? What's happening here? Uh, so, anything else to add about the show? Or are we good to uh, close up shop for now? No, I think we're good. Um, I want an Orkin Flicks spinoff comic. Um, but that's about all I got. 
you know how long that they take to do that stuff. So oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it was never gonna happen. Um, I just hope we get some more of the those two um going forward in the season because I love them already. I have a feeling that pretty much every character we met is going to be a major part of the show. Oh yeah, I would not be surprised. And like we haven't even met all of the like the ace pilots on there. Like there was five um right, yeah. showing up on that board and we only saw um uh name uh Tora. Yeah. So like yeah, there's there's a there's a lot more to to get into with this show. Yeah. And um we should mention we're going to try and do a second show this month about the Marvel comics. Yes. Um, so that one will likely not have me on it because I'm not caught up at all, but I will I will do my best to help you. I, you know, we have so many multiversity folks who want to get on to talk about Star Wars, so Oh yeah. It's, it's a popular uh it's a popular show. Um like if that does happen, I will I will definitely be around. Uh for that I do have a couple issues to get caught up on. Um but that'll be a lot of fun because there's some really cool stuff happening in those comics. Yeah. We'll get you caught up eventually. Yeah. Give me some time. <laughs> All right. Uh, if folks want to find you on the internet, where would they do so? Um, I am always on Twitter at um, Alice W. Castle. Um, and you can also find me at multiversitycomics.com. I almost got that wrong. Jesus Christ. Um, where you <laughs> yes. can find me every week talking about Star Wars Resistance and hopefully in the near future talking about actual real comics again. Um where I'm digging into my backlog to talk about stuff that I either dropped or fell away from in the past couple of years. Yeah, and uh, I'm also on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap, and I am on Multiversity Comics way too much. And uh, yeah, we're yeah, gonna you're work... like everywhere on that site. <laughs> well, you know, that's sort of just how it, how it rolls lately. But hopefully that'll be changing soon. I want more folks to step up so I can, you know sleep have a life yeah <laughs> it's just all i want to sleep that's all i'm looking for but yeah um, but yeah we'll be back later this month i hope with the second episode awesome um you can find us there and may the force be with you hey everybody matthew from marveling at the movies here thanks so much for listening to one of the multiversity comics podcast network's episodes i just wanted to take a quick minute of your time to tell you about something that the marveling at the movies team is doing this year, we're participating in Extra Life, which is a 24-hour fundraising and gaming marathon to support the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. Game day is November 3rd, and we'll be joining thousands of gamers and dedicating our entire day to playing games and getting donations from friends like you. 100% of the donations are going to our local hospital, the Boston Children's Hospital. So if you'd like to donate, your donation is tax-deductible and will make miracles happen for families who desperately need them. To donate, you can check out our team page by going to extra-life.org slash team slash four zero two six three that's extra dash life.org slash team slash four zero two six three this should bring you to the team home of the cool dudes and you can follow us on social media all day for links to our live stream where you can watch matt alexis and myself get super annoyed at each other as the insanity of being awake for 24 hours begins to set in it's going to be a great time thanks and enjoy the show we're here at New York Comic Con with Chuck Wendig, writer extraordinaire and tweeter extraordinaire. I'm a Tweety, Tweety Bird. True. <laughs> True story. So, 
I'm sure you can't say anything about this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Uh, the Mandalorian recently announced a new uh, Star Wars series set af- around the time of your Aftermath novels. Yeah. And in the Aftermath novels, there was a, uh, a bit about some Mandalorian armor. Cobb Vanth. Sure. Yeah, Cobb Vanth wears a, finds a piece of Mandalorian armor. That's correct. Would that have anything to do with this show, possibly? Uh, I am directing and writing the entire show, so oh, yeah, no. Awesome. I have no idea. They don't, oh. they don't tell me these things. I'm not in on that secret. Uh, I hope so. It would be awesome. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about that sort of idea in general. You know, you introduced a bunch of concepts in the Aftermath trilogy that have found their way to screen or to other books or to, you know, intense fandom. Uh, Snap Wexley is a kid when we meet him in the Aftermath novels, and he shows up on screen in The Force Awakens. As a writer, how cool is that to see a character that originated in your book show up on screen? Uh, it's the coolest thing. Now, we, we planned that from the beginning, so I kind of knew that that was coming. But there are other times when little things, uh, like Aftermath introduces a musical instrument called the Valachord, and then in Solo, that's sort of like one of the character beats yeah. of Beckett is sort of, you know, going to learn to play the Valachord. So little things like that, are, they, they make my heart sing when that happens, because it's just it's a sign of not only a connected universe, but also that we're all literally building it together. Right, yeah. And not only that, but the character of Ray Sloan, who again originates in your novels, has become a huge part of Phantom. And was she actually into them before your novels? or? Yeah, she actually introduces, she's in um, uh, John Jackson, uh, yes. yeah, his, um, his uh, Rebels uh, novel. Right. But, you know, but really grew into something. Yeah, she has a three-book kind of run with Aftermath, right, and she yeah. becomes literally one of the most important figures in the Empire uh, for that run, yeah. yeah. So how does that feel when a character takes off with a fan base? Like, do you do you feel a bit of ownership whenever you see Ray Sloan fan art, that sort of thing? Or are you just happy to see what others do with it? Do you want more? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, did, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you feel a sense of ownership and uh, responsibility for that character? I never, I mean, I never want to say I feel ownership, because obviously this is a, a shared universe. Um... But I'm definitely happy to have been a part of that story and to that people responded well to it and want to carry her story forward, um, whether it's just through cosplay or art or whether they literally want more uh, books with her. And I, I certainly want more books with her, whether I write them or not. Now, you're recently announced a new Star Wars comic coming out. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. Uh, Shadow of Vader, a five-issue uh, Marvel. Uh, as Charles Soule's uh, Darth Vader wraps up, we're coming out with this five-issue thing, which is sort of a five different stories uh, that tell um, five different character st- tales about people who are affected in some way by Darth Vader. He leaves a very uh, figurative and literal shadow, uh, and so it's about people who have had to live in that shadow and have dealt with him in some way. So uh, some people become obsessed with him. Some have sort of PTSD from meeting him. Um, in one case, it's sort of a, a, a riff on... Friday the 13th as he hunts the, the, the teenage children of senators down at a sort of a summer camp. Uh, so yeah, we, we had a lot of fun with it and it's kind of a neat neat way to tell a story. Have the artists been announced for that yet? Uh, no, uh, I think the first issue is going to be Juan and Ramirez, but I don't, well, I don't think we know anything else beyond that. Yeah. Um, what is it like writing for something that is so iconic as Star Wars? Do you feel an extra amount of pressure and... Uh, you know, responsibility when you're taking taking part of this franchise has been around for 40 plus years and has such a huge fan devotion to it. I don't feel a ton of pressure in the sense of like stress, uh, just because this stuff's been knocking around my head for 40 years. It's honestly quite relieving to be able to spigot some of it out. Um, so, but I mean, I definitely feel responsibility. I definitely feel like my voice, um, while it has to be my own, and I still want the stories to feel like stories that I wrote. I also want them to fit organically in with the, the legacy of Star Wars and the future of Star Wars. So uh, I definitely feel that responsibility, sure. 
You have another book coming out for Delray next year. Tell us about that. Wanderers, yeah. Wanderers drops in July of 2019. And uh, it's like a, the manuscript is, is, I think, 1,200 pages. So it gives you a sense of how large this book's going to be. Uh, it's kind of like a weird epic sci-fi horror love baby of Stephen King and Michael Crichton. So it should be, should be hopefully good. Yeah. Is it July for that? July.